0: Do please sit down. Okay. Well, we'll be looking at that passage that Chrissy uh, read for us from Matthew chapter 26. Uh, last week, I understand Jesus was arrested with Gloria Enright. No idea what Jesus and Gloria Enright were up to together that got themselves into trouble about them being arrested together, but there you go. Uh, For those of you who are thinking, what am I talking about? We put the theme on the front of the, uh, the welcome sheet, and last week was Jesus is arrested with Gloria Enright. That's your claim to fame, Gloria, isn't it? It's not a bad claim to fame to have, really, is it? But there we go. And this evening we're, we're looking at uh, what happened when Jesus uh, was accused. There are two kinds of trial that uh, Jesus underwent. There was a religious trial, and there was a civil trial. The former, John says, in John chapter 18, began when Jesus was taken to the house of Annas, the high priest, and was questioned. Then he was taken to Caiaphas, his son-in-law, where the Sanhedrin questioned him further. And maybe as you uh, read the, uh, the, the passage, or you had it read, there was different things welling up from within you about, well, this doesn't Feel right. I don't like what I'm what I'm reading. I have to say, when you spend time studying a passage, I got really angry <laughs> through this week because they're, they're, you know we, we don't like things not being fair or not being just. This was this was just so wrong. The whole setup, the whole the, the way that the thing came about was just wrong, and I was angry because it was wrong. And why I was even more angry was that this this was being portrayed by the people who were supposedly leading the people of God. Urgh, can I just get you know out of my system first? The, so that was at the religious trial, which is what we're looking at here. The civil trial involved Pilate and Herod later. And if you actually add up the number of times that, uh, that Jesus was bounced backwards and forwards between Annas and Caiaphas, and Caiaphas again, and Pilate, Herod, there was about six trials, t- six different occasions, all a complete con, and of course we know that the result ended in Jesus' death. But we see there, firstly, those who'd arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. All these important uh, people. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. It was actually very brave for Peter to get as far as he did do. And uh, we all know that if we flick over the page that Jesus denied the Lord, and as we, we, we've we already looked at in a few weeks back, uh, some of the other gospel writers give us a very um, accurate picture of what went on. And there was that, uh, that one moment where one of the gospel writers says about when the cock crowed, and then Peter sees the, the eyes of, of Jesus looking at him. He goes, oh, How must this guy, Peter, uh, have felt? But all the rest of the disciples had fled. Maybe nowhere at all. Jesus had said, of course, that that would happen, but at least Peter had got so far, albeit that he was following at a distance. Of course, it's a lot safer to do that, isn't it? It's a lot safer to kind of keep your distance when you follow Jesus. So maybe we wouldn't want to have a fish sticker on our car, or maybe we wouldn't want to admit in a conversation that we went to church, or whatever. And you can think of your own situations that for you, it may well be too difficult to admit or to uh, confess that following Jesus close up is a challenge. But that's what we're called to. To take up our cross and follow Jesus daily. Not to be people that follow him At a distance, and I think there are times as I read that verse over and over where I've opted for a safer option. Yes, I'm okay with saying I'm a Christian or that I go to church, but really, it's a lot safer to stand far back as opposed to be really right on the front line. I've got different views about people that would stand up on a soapbox and and bellow out uh, uh, different words of challenge and of scripture to people on the streets, in Dorchester or wherever else, but at least they're willing to go on the front line. Maybe for you, you've got a a particular thought about if we were to go knocking on doors as a church, and there would be some, I know, and I could probably write down now who those people would be, that would be willing to do that. They might not enjoy it, but well, count me in. Others of us, well, oh, that needs some prayer backing, that does. And of course it does. But I wonder if there are elements of our own following the Lord at times that... We opt for that following at a distance. Just worthwhile to think about. I don't want to follow Jesus at a distance. I've just had my 48th birthday. I don't want to follow Jesus at a distance. Do you? Do you? Thank you, Ian. (laughs) Ian doesn't. Peter, then we read, he sat down, in verse 58, to see... The outcome. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Who knows what else maybe he could have done or should have done, and it's very easy for us to think about that, isn't it? But there are times when we've got a choice about doing something, or we can choose to do nothing. Some of us here are on email. Others of us are not on email, but you would get particular things through your letterbox of a particular uh, response that's required. And maybe from organisations like Tear Fund or Care from the Family, or it could well be another social action project. Now obviously we can't respond to every single need, certainly financially. But there are times when our having a voice and our signing our signature does carry a lot more weight probably than even our pennies does. Now whether that's a matter of keeping Portland rescue um, or speaking up for marriage that's going on at the moment in uh, the debate in Parliament between one man and one woman or just, well, I'm going to stand back because I'm too busy and wait to see what the outcome of events is. I think it was—I um, think I'm right in saying it was Marjorie Proops. Would, it, would that would be right? Who spoke one year at a massive Christian uh, gathering and was asking the uh, the audience there uh, about who had contacted their MP or TV station or radio station in terms of anything that was either positive of what they'd seen or watched or negative and there was this silent hush and she then paused and then said in that case you've got exactly on your screens what you deserve and sat down because too often we can do maybe as Peter was doing here sit down and wait to see the outcome, where we have opportunity for a voice. And the day might not always be here in this country where we've even got that. Let's have a voice. Some are more gifted than at that at others. But where we have an opportunity to do our bit, let's do that. Back to the passage and what was maybe going on here. The aim of the Jewish leaders, it's pretty obvious, they wanted to kill Jesus. But they wanted to kill him justifiably. They wanted to create this kind of farcical scene where at least it looked as if they were doing the right thing. Jesus uh, uh, Jesus had had a a trial and we have weighed the evidence. Now, you will know that that wasn't really uh, the truth at all. No evidence stacked up because everyone... Was lying, and then we get this situation where uh, finally uh, two came forward and declared, Well, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three uh, days. Well, that was a serious uh, claim in terms of that desecration of uh, a sacred temple. Even the Romans would have respected the sacredness of temples. But Jesus, of course, hadn't said anything about destroying that wonderful temple that was there um, close by them. But rather he'd been referring to this temple, by which he meant his body that was going to be destroyed and then in three days would indeed be rebuilt. And of course we understand that that was his death and his resurrection. So there's this uh, this uh, accusation that comes forward about he's a vandal, he's going to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. A high priest stood up and said, well, aren't you going to answer? And you can imagine the hyping up of the crowd. Of course, it's a lot easier to have a big, strong opinion, isn't it, when you're a part of a crowd against just a one and we see that uh, kind of bullying scenario um, uh, through different things in media. Maybe we go back to our school days or whatever else always very easy to be brave and courageous as a part of a crowd isn't it Jesus was silent it's painful isn't it just for about five seconds silence all these accusations coming in and maybe for some of us I'm trying desperately hard to not look at any married couples here, but I'm, I pick up from time to time where there can be uh, an incredible sense of frustration where the one person, and that's not saying whether it's male or female, will be on at their space and their spouse is not really that kind of person, so they'll just be quiet and passive I just want you to argue back then I can really have a go uh, yeah, And there's something very powerful in silence. The silence, of course, was a fulfilment of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, about uh, being, uh, being silent before uh, the, uh, uh, the, 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 just look it up actually, I, I was going to uh, throw out the verse there, but let's look it up, I, back in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7. Should have helped me bookmark in but didn't. But it's worthwhile to hear the words right as opposed to just summarise. really. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before the, his, her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. But Jesus was also silent because of his willingness to die for you and for me. His silence was a part of securing our salvation. Do you realise that? Often we think of what Jesus said, that secured my salvation. Or what Jesus did, that secured my salvation. And that's true. But his silence here was a part of that as well. Because if Jesus had defended himself or proved he wasn't guilty, which I'm sure as the Son of God he was perfectly able to do, what would have happened? But he wouldn't then have died. What would have happened to your salvation and mine? We wouldn't have had it somehow in the bigger scheme of things, maybe beyond what we are fully able to comprehend, he submitted to God's will. Caiaphas, the person who was uh, who was then fronting this, this next part of the investigation, said, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now for Caiaphas, he would have been put in place by Roman rule. So Jesus being seen as someone who is potentially, they felt, someone coming in as uh, as some kind of person, going to be turning the the whole sort of uh, country upside down and seeking to overthrow the Romans, well, that would have had an impact on Caiaphas and on his uh, position as well. Hence, maybe his growing concern and his wanting to speak to Jesus direct. So he demands to know if Jesus was the Messiah. He really only wanted to know, of course, if that was what Jesus had said. He didn't really want to know whether or not Jesus was the Messiah because he had naught percent faith that Jesus was the Messiah. Even though as a Jew, he would have been looking forward to the Messiah coming, just like every other Jew would have done. But they missed the one who was in their midst, didn't they? Jesus didn't say directly here uh, that he was, but that Caiaphas said that he was. But from what... Uh, Jesus added, the conclusion was that this was blasphemous. And we can see that from, from verse 64. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. If you look at Mark's account, Mark would appear to uh, emphasize that Jesus was a little bit more forward in terms of what he actually said in agreeing uh, to that. Of course, what Jesus says was completely blasphemous about being the Messiah. Unless, of course, it was true, which it was, and it is. Hence, not blasphemous at all. But they weren't interested in truth, which we know from the way that the, um, the court scene um, continued. All they heard was blasphemous. Now we've got him. That's what we wanted to hear. And we know the result of that. When the crowd were asked what they thought after being told that Jesus had spoken blasphemy, they all said he was worthy of death. Jesus picks up um, another prophetic word from Daniel. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes. He spoke of blasphemy. We don't need any more witnesses. What do you think? Well, it's difficult for anybody else to say anything against this this chief high priest here. He's worthy of death, they answered. And again, you can imagine the height, picking that up, picking that up, and bigging that up. And they then spat at him. They struck him. They slapped him. Mark said they also blindfolded him. So come on then, prophesy, prophesy. Who hit you? Who hit you? And again, I'm just... Enraged, as I'm picturing this scene. This is my Lord. This is your Lord. How degrading. How humiliating. And yet he chose to go through that for me. Do you grasp that? If you do, then write it down on a postcard for me because I don't get it other than this immense... Wonderful God that we've got who loves us. And this plan that he decreed from since the beginning of time, this is a part of it. Maybe another verse from Isaiah comes to mind. Chapter 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation or spitting when you see Jesus being struck remember that verse that said it's by his stripes we are healed we might not like it it might sit uncomfortably with us but alongside that discomfort we have to say I'm glad you did it though I'm glad you did it on a very 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 incy wincy small scale, I can remember my mum taking a plaster off of my leg and saying to me, it'll only hurt a little bit, but I've got to be cruel to be. And with that, did I enjoy that pain? Not as much as my mother did. No, of course I did, but she was being cruel to be kind. Trivial example. I don't know how we can portray it. The leaders had said they wanted to know if Jesus was the Messiah. Well, they then discover, he says he is. Was this how they had planned to treat the Messiah? (laughs) I don't think so. Yet each of us who proclaim that Jesus is Lord have that tendency from time to time to go off course and to not be God-honouring in how we speak, how we think or how we act. And at that very moment, we are no better than the Sanhedrin here that each and every one of us is probably despising. Think about it. Same Messiah. Same Lord. They shouldn't have done what they ended up doing. Even if we look at the way that a Jewish court of law was set up, there are at least five violations of that law, of their own law bother with that so much for being people of integrity what a lesson in the misuse of power these were the leaders of God's people and there's the challenge I don't know if at Moran's uh, college now, Joe, they uh, advocate you reading the same book as they did when I was there. I know, 100 years ago or whatever. When I was at college, each Bible college student was given a number of books that were highly recommended. One of them was called Money, Sex and Power. Because historically, where people are in Christian ministry and where they fall, it's in one of those three areas. And so this book had been highly recommended for those of us that were training for Christian ministry. Maybe some of us remember the TV evangelists um, in the States and the the big fraud and the temptations for wealth. and They had loads of followers, but of course it was just really a money earner. in the name of the Lord Jesus. And you would have heard a sermon by one of these TV evangelists and thought that would exactly work here, what they're saying, the truth of the word, yet there is something else going on. Or maybe each of us can think of high-profile leaders in the Christian church who've fallen sexually. Less obvious but just as real are those who let power go to their heads, or use power that they have to get their own way. And it strikes me that it's worthwhile pausing to think about that here, because that is the issue that is going on here. As well as Jesus going through what he wanted to go through, and we've got an account of that pain and the injustice and and all of that, We see here people in leadership of God's people misusing uh, the power that they had in just a a dreadful way. I recognise as a pastor of this church, I have a degree of influence in this church. That's that's not a bragging thing, that's a fact. As pastor of the church. But it doesn't stop there. Especially as Dave's now nodding his head like that, because Dave... You have a degree of power in this church as well. Dave is one of the other elders in the church. That is a position of power. And as I look around, Grace next week will be producing The Honeycomb, our bi-monthly magazine, which is fantastic. But it's a position of power because Grace edits that. John checks out the spelling and things like that. But there's a position of power because there's the word going out. And there's an opportunity for influence. I think about Tim, chair of the trustees. The trustees would look to Tim, quite rightly so. He's a good guy, It's a position of power. I think of Kevin, with the money bags. <laughs> Kevin and Liz, we know, do a, a great job. They hate being put on a pedestal. We would be embarrassed if we knew how many hours these guys did every single week. But they're also in a position of power and a position of influence. Glenda, who runs Dorchester Friends Indeed and oversees different people going into different people's homes. Incredible sense of influence. Power comes with that. Simon, youth pastor at the church. You know, those of us with children and grandchildren are saying, off you go, Simon, and how they're discipled, how they're, uh, they're, they're taught, the way that they're taught. That's down to Simon's oversight and his nurturing and, and overseeing those involved in junior church. It's a position of power. Dave prayed for, uh, for Lisa earlier, who does uh, the, the welcome sheet. Just like Grace with the honeycomb, person in power. We don't get a copy of that welcome sheet until it's there on that Sunday morning. Lisa has the capacity to influence. How many people are here week by week? Rich, who edits the website, amongst other things. Who knows what he's tapping away at and all that technical stuff he shoves on that most of us don't understand. Get lost on there. What a position of influence. Power. Power about people that are mature in the faith, I don't. I can't remember how many years it was that, that, that Doug was an elder and he's still a trustee but you have those two together, that's probably 70 years, but certainly 30 years plus plus. and people look to Doug, quite rightly so, Doug's been around and the people are like, Ian been around, and we look to those people, and they're influencers people of power and we can keep going through keep going through, keep going through Chrissy, not been a Christian that long, she's married to the pastor of the church. Maybe if I speak to or win her over, she can get my point of view through to the pastor. Position of power, influence. I quite deliberately mention a load of names. I could add on to it, junior church teachers, life group leaders, because any person in a position of power to recognise we are under the same temptation that the Sanhedrin were here. And we can either dishonour God's name and his cause, or we can seek to do what we do in love. Every person who has some form of influence can be tempted to misuse the power that they have. Worse still is when people use spiritual words to, in some shape or form, cover up their own agendas or their manipulation. I've seen that. I've seen that. I've heard that. Dave's nodding, he's obviously seen that and heard that, and, and I guess some of us have here. What do I mean by that? What I mean by this? is somebody that's got a particular viewpoint, and they're adamant that that is what they want. Now, that may well be of God, or it may well not. But how can I actually make sure that that carries a little bit more weight? I know, I can say, you know, I really feel what God's been saying is, and of course if God has said it, it's very difficult to argue with that, isn't it? Because if we take a viewpoint that's different to that, well I'm going against what God says but what do you do when person A says you know I feel God's laid it on my heart that what we should do is this and another person the next day that has a conversation with me says you know God's laid it on my heart that what we should do is this and of course I'm I'm every now and then thinking well that's amazing God has actually said two different things to two different people (laughs) now my money is on one of them being wrong if I was a betting man but do you see what I mean? We can flower something up in spiritual words, and I'm sure the Sanhedrin were very good at doing this. We've heard the blasphemy! Oh, the spiritual. What do you think about that? Is it right to blaspheme? No, it's not right to blaspheme. What happens to blasphemy? They should be crucified. He's, he's worthy of death. So they, they kind of hide up this complete con of a court case to get their own agenda through. We need to be on our guard against that, brothers and sisters. The religious leaders here had power, especially as people believed that their power came from God. So, there were the people in the pews, if you like, that were putting these wealthy people from wealthy backgrounds who come through the, the, the roots in their family, and because granddad was, dad was, and son was, so they kind of uh, like been born into this incredibly prestigious role. But the people in the pews, wow, the, the, these people are saying God's word. Whatever they say must be right. So, we'll follow that test out what anybody is telling you with what the word of God says weigh it with conversations that you have with other brothers and sisters in the Lord Dave will tell you every week that that we meet if we've got thoughts or ideas or particularly a response to a situation I'll say David I'm not too sure on this I've got a sense on what I think is right can I just bounce this off you I've done that with Doug, I've done it with Ian, I've done it with others Others of you that are here at different times, at different uh, forms. Why? Because I don't want to get it wrong. I make enough mistakes, it is. I don't want to add to those if others could actually reflect something back that's helpful to get it right. That's why we need team, isn't it? Why we need one another. We don't want one individual leading any ministry here uh, at all that system that they had in operation as a Sanhedrin was a closed system. It was a guarded system. Much like, really, I guess, if you were, uh, if, if people who run a family business and don't want people that are not in the family to kind of get a foot in the door of that business. And we kind of understand uh, some of that. Some families are very, very loathe uh, to... <laughs> To, very loath to let, uh, let in others into their church for churches, particularly smaller churches, where one or two families have had domination through the generations. Maybe you've been a part of a church like that, and there's a protective element that can be kind of covered up and shrouded in spiritual vocabulary, but there's a fear, a of, of threat that people in those churches fear. Uh, the, the Smiths or the Joneses or whatever, um, I'm just using those names at, at, at random. Because if we let somebody else in in a position of influence, what might they do to our church? I've got news for them. It ain't their church anyway. It's Jesus' church. And that's what's happening here. The leaders see Jesus as a threat, and they don't like that. Jesus was seen as a threat, so they thought sought to get rid of him. The very people who are supposed to be agents for the work of God become agents for the work of Satan, because of their own agenda. I do not want to be an agent for the work of Satan. He's very busy, as he is, trying to destroy you, me, and his church. I don't want to add to that just because of my little petty agenda that I might have. Do you? With what may well be a be in the bite for you? We've all got those, haven't we? We've all got them. Come on, let's admit it. As I mentioned, there are no fewer than five violations of Jewish law. Even the questioning here of Jesus, that Jesus received at night, they're not bothered about truth and this farce of a court hearing. Just that they can conjure up something that can enable them to get their own way, But kind of perception would be legally, which was rubbish. The leaders are puffed up with their own sense of importance and misuse their power to control other people and the events around them instead of seeking to facilitate what God wants. Whatever sphere of influence we might have, how are we seeking to use that power? I have to answer that question because of the position that I've got. But lots of you here will have to answer that question as well. Maybe in our business we can think about that. Maybe in our own family we can think about that. Pray for those who have leadership in the church that that the power given to them would be used in a right way. If one of you is in a position of influence or of power, my encouragement would be that you seek to use it to serve, use it humbly, use it to build others up, not to knock them down. Someone once told me, uh, years ago this was, but the phrase has stuck with me. They said, there is a very fine line between good leadership and manipulation. And I thought about that. And for whatever we might think about that phrase, because it's an uncomfortable phrase, it keeps you on your toes in terms of why you're doing what you're doing. Is this genuinely because you're wanting to lead in a right way, or is it because I've got another agenda that's coming to the fore? There are times, of course, where we need to stick to our guns. And some of you will know that that would be been true of me. I've got my views of certain things, just like you would have yours. And if we believe that God is saying something, then I'm not going to duck out of making a stand for that. Let's, take, let's choose a safe one. I believe that this is the Word of God. Okay? No way anybody is going to deter me from that. This is the Word of God, all of it. I believe it. I will preach it. Even the bits that I don't really like and would rather get a Tipex bottle out to. I'm going to stand firm on that. I will fight my corner on that until the day I die, I hope. Each of us have got those things that it's right that we need to stick to our guns on. But there are times where we need to compromise if we're in a position of power and influence for the greater good. There are times where we even maybe need to not do what we thought it had been right to do. Good leaders keep themselves in check. They invite feedback from others and they listen to other people. And good leaders remember that the church belongs to Jesus. just want to close with this. I wonder who you think that you are most like. Are you most like Jesus in this passage? Well, it would be great to say that, wouldn't it? Be able to take all this stuff that was coming to us, only to later pray, Father, forgive them because they just don't know what they're doing. To not be deterred from that that particular purpose and cause. Or are we like Peter? Oh, we so desperately want to serve. We do want to follow Jesus we get afraid and then maybe end up letting the Lord down maybe even sadly denying that he exists or are we one of those in the Sanhedrin a problem with power a problem of getting our own way and the longer we've had influence the harder it is to see that and be aware of that In the same way as people would often say, the longer someone's been a Christian, the harder it is for them to understand what it's like for someone to not be a Christian. Someone who's just become a Christian, they've been a Christian a few months, they know how to connect in with a load of non-Christian friends. Why? Because they've got non-Christian friends. Most of us, the longer we're a Christian, it's bye-bye non-Christian friends. And we forget what it's like to be out there. But so I think it's also true that the longer we've had sphere of influence, the harder it is to realise how we might be using that position that God has given to us. Let's pray together before we s- uh, respond. Uh, singing two songs together. Firstly, number 288. You can turn to that in readiness. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. But let's pray, because we do need the Lord, don't we, uh, to keep ourselves very much on the straight and narrow. Father God, uh, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenges uh, that it it throws up. Lord, we... um, we do see that sense of uh, injustice that Jesus went through and we're angry about it we're angry about it especially because of the people that were inflicting that injustice, not seemingly um, without any sense of guilt um, or or bad feeling within themselves whatsoever and yet Lord when we see how angry that we are getting at that, justifiably so We know that like the Sanhedrin, we have also had times where maybe we've misused power or we've acted in a way that has really not been honourable to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. I know that's been true of me. And Lord, as we come before you now honestly and humbly, we know that it's true of each and every one of us. God, forgive us. We do need you every hour. Meet us in our hour of need. That we might walk with our God in a way that is humble and right. That we might act justly and love justice. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.